0: This is a Seven West media podcast.
1: Good evening and welcome to Seven live across Australia. You're watching the Leaders' Debate live from the studios of Channel 7 in Perth where Scott Morrison and Bill Shorten will make their plea to the nation face to face over the next hour. We have the questions they must answer in their race to become the nation's next Prime Minister who gets the keys to the Lodge in three weeks. This debate will help decide. Standing by in our Seven West media studio are the current Prime Minister and Liberal leader Scott Morrison and the Labor leader Bill Shorten. We thank them for their time tonight and for making this debate happen. For three weeks we have heard their election rhetoric. Tonight they'll be tested by each other. By you at home and by our panel of Seven West's political editors live. Helping break through the campaign spin tonight is Mark Riley, 7 News political editor. Good evening to you, Mark. And the journalist who helped negotiate this debate, Lani Scar, federal political editor of The West Australian. Welcome, Lani. We're in front of a live studio audience tonight, independently selected by YouGov Galaxy with us 48 undecided voters who hope to have a clearer picture of which party they will prefer to govern our nation after this one-hour debate. And we'll bring you their verdict on 7 News here in Perth, right after the debate, on the latest at 10.45pm nationally and in tomorrow's edition of the West Australian newspaper. Now, the rules. This is how the debate will work tonight. Each leader will make a three-minute opening address. During their pitch to you, a timer will appear when their final 30 seconds is counting down. We won't cut their mics, but the timings are there to make sure each leader gets a fair chance to get their points across. Then, we'll ask seven key questions. Both Mr. Morrison and Mr. Shorten will get one minute to express their view before tonight's debate begins. What unfolds will also be timed, but if it's clearer a point needs to be finished, it will be allowed and you can have your say too this evening. Head to 7news.com.au to follow tonight's debate and you can take part in our audience and readership polling. They're live right now at thewest.com.au. Use the hashtag leadersdebate. Both our leaders are acutely aware that what they say now will be making headlines nationally and will influence if they are sworn in to lead our great nation. So, to decide who starts this evening, we begin, as is customary, with a toss of the coin. And as agreed, Prime Minister Scott Morrison, as the sitting Prime Minister, it's your call, if you could. Tails. A couple of bounces and tails it is. So, Prime Minister, it's your call. Would you like to speak first or second with oh, your opening remarks? I'll be happy
2: to open. Thanks. Prime Minister, Thanks, away we go. Well, thank you, Basil, and thank you to all of those who have joined us tonight for this important debate. We all agree that Australia is the best country in the world. But our future depends on a stronger economy in the years ahead, the decade we will live in. Over the last five and a half years, our government has delivered a stronger economy. We have seen unemployment come down. We have seen record jobs growth particularly for young Australians. Last year, some 100,000 young Australians got a job, the strongest youth jobs growth ever. We've seen the budget now coming back into surplus next year for the first time in 12 years. And what we've also seen is record funding in our hospitals, public hospital funding up more than 60%, public schools funding up more than 60%, bulk billing for Medicare at its highest ever levels. And here in Western Australia, We've been able to fix the GST and deliver fairness for people in Western Australia to ensure that our GST distribution system is fair right across the country so it can invest in the essential services Australians rely on wherever they happen to live. Our plan is to keep that going because we are facing stiff headwinds into the future for our economy and if our economy can't remain strong then the funding for those essential services is put at risk. So our plan is to continue to see jobs growth, one and a quarter million jobs over the next five years, ensuring that we continue to back lower taxes for all Australians, small small businesses and family businesses, people who are working hard right across our economy, to ensure that we keep the budget in surplus as we've worked hard to bring it back to that surplus to pay down the debt that we inherited and to ensure that we continue to invest in the essential services, the schools and the hospitals at record levels, and the mental health services in particular, taking on the biggest challenge I think we have, and that is of youth suicide around this country. And finally, to keep Australians safe and to keep our borders secure. This election, of course, will be close. Elections always are, and they're always fundamentally a choice, a choice between myself as Prime Minister or Mr Shorten, A choice between our government that has been able to keep our economy strong, and policies that will continue to do that, and the policies of the Labor Party, which I believe will weaken it. A government that has lowered taxes and legislated to do that, not just today, but into the future, and against a Labor Party who wants to increase taxes by $387 billion. And a government that has demonstrated that knows how to manage money. Because if you can't manage money, you can't run the country. And we have the track record to do that. And we know what happened last time that the government switched to Labor at a federal level. So as we look forward, um, we have a plan to take our economy into the future to ensure that we continue to create jobs, that we support the essential services that Australians rely on, so we can build our economy to secure your future.
3: Good evening, everybody. Well, I hope that uh, right across Australia, you find tonight's debate informative. I'll certainly put forward Labor's positive plans and I look forward to a great discussion. And also, I must acknowledge that this is the first time ever there's been a debate in Western Australia, a leaders debate. So congratulations to the West, you scored the first debate. I'm optimistic about Australia's future. I believe that when we invest in people, that when we aim to be our best, there's no holding our country back. I lead a united and stable team and we've been working on the policies to make sure that Australia's future is a fantastic one. I want Australia to have the world's best health system. I want to make sure that we build a stronger Medicare, that our hospitals are properly funded, that people don't spend too long on waiting lists to get the surgery they need, they get help with their out-of-pocket costs when they're battling cancer, and I want 3 million pensioners to be able to access dental care. I want the world's best education system. Three and four-year-olds getting support going to kindy. Best schools, best TAFEs, best unis. I want to make sure we're training our people for the future. Now, we can afford to pay for these because we've made the hard decisions going forward. We acknowledge that some people won't be happy, but what we want to do is stop providing tax loopholes to the top end of town and those who are already very well off, and instead we prioritise childcare costs, the pensioners, hospitals and schools. Also, what we want to do is start tackling the big issues which are affecting everyday Australians. Cost of living, everything's going up in Australia except people's wages. We've got a plan to help cap private health insurance fees to help with a million Australian households with their childcare costs. We want to get wages moving again and start restoring some of those penalty rates which were arbitrarily cut. And we want to take real action on climate change. None of this can happen if we keep the same government in power. They've been in charge for six years and life hasn't got better for a lot of people. In fact, for many people, they're spending their household savings and going backwards. This is a government who's had three prime ministers, a lot of chaos and turmoil, and we've seen funding to schools and hospitals cut. We've lost lots of apprenticeships in this time. There's a million Australians doing two jobs and there's a million Australians who are underemployed. This economy is not working in the interests of working people. We believe it is time for a change. Tonight we're going to outline our exciting policies to put middle and working class people back on top, from childcare to looking after the pensioners and the schools and the hospitals. We understand that this country works best when everyone gets a fair go and we're not going to be deterred from taking action on climate change. We shouldn't be the generation who hands on a worse environment to our kids just because the current government wasn't able to get its act together on energy prices or climate change. I look forward to a really good discussion tonight. I look forward to hearing people's questions. Labor understands that when you get a fair go in this country, then everyone benefits.
1: Thank you Mr Shorten and thank you Mr Morrison. So indeed let's get that discussion underway to our first question now tonight and over to our moderators Mark Riley and Lani Skar. Just a reminder the first question after the first question is asked both leaders have one minute to speak before open debate begins. Our first topic tonight is on the subject of trust. Mark Riley, it's over to you.
4: Thanks Basil. Trust, gentlemen. A small word with a very large impact on voters' minds. This is to Mr Morrison. First, this is the fourth election in a row where voters will face a Prime Minister in you that they didn't see lead the government at the previous election. That's part of the reason why trust in the system and faith in the system is breaking down. Voters see you politicians making this about yourselves and losing sight of them. So my question to you is, why should voters trust you to do what you say you'll do? And what will you do to restore faith and trust in the political system?
2: Well, you're right, Mark. The changes that took place, both on the Liberal Party over recent times and on the Labor Party when they were last in government. They can't happen again and they shouldn't happen again. And that's why we've changed our rules. And that's why the Labor Party changed their rules. And that means that at this election, there'll be the opportunity, I think, for the Australian people, the first time in a long time, that the Prime Minister they elect at this election will be the Prime Minister that will serve over the next three years. And the question of trust is the right one. Who do you trust to manage a $2 trillion economy? Who do you trust to keep the budget in surplus? Who do you trust to ensure that you pay down the debt, not by higher taxes, but by ensuring that Australians and the burden that is on Australians of higher taxes are lifted, and so the champion in every single Australian can get out there and do what they need to do each and every day. Trust is about demonstration of performance. And as an immigration minister, I said I'd stop the boats, and I did. As a social services minister, reduce welfare dependency, and I did. As a treasurer, bring the back budget back to surplus, and that's what I did. And importantly here in Western Australia, I said I'd fix the GST, I promised I would, and I delivered it as a prime minister and legislated. So you can trust those who've got the track record of performance.
4: Right, Mr Shorten Trust, you were one of the pivotal figures, obviously, the so-called faceless men who uh, was involved in the toppling of Kevin Rudd and the rise of Julia Gillard and then the toppling of Julia Gillard and the reinstallation of Kevin Rudd, a kingmaker, if you like, who now wants to be king. Why should voters trust you and what will you do to restore trust and faith among voters in the political system?
3: Thanks, Mark. It is fair to say that trust in politicians is at an all-time low. And I think all of us share some responsibility for that. The question is, how do we improve people's trust? The big problem I see is that most voters I talk to think that too much of politics is about people and personalities and not enough about the people of Australia, it's too much about the politicians. So what we're going to do is rebuild trust institutions by establishing a national anti-corruption commission. So that's an institutional down payment. The Commonwealth, the politicians shouldn't be above these uh, anti-corruption commissions. But we're also trusting the Australian people with our policies. See, to be trusted, we want to trust people. So we've put all our policies out there. We've been upfront about what we want to do and how we're going to pay for it. I think the real challenge of trust also comes to how united your party is. What people said to me over the summer break is, we just want to vote for one Prime Minister for the next three years. My party's united. I'm concerned that the government deals with Clive Palmer and Pauline Hansen means you vote Morrison, you get Palmer and Hanson.
0: I can um, reveal some figures tonight from the hardworking people at the Australian Electoral Commission. As of 4pm today, 110,000 voters had voted in pre-polling today. That's almost double the amount that voted on the first day in the 2016 election. Why don't people want to wait another three weeks to hear from you?
2: Well I think what we've seen in in recent elections, and I'm sure Bill would agree, we've seen people taking the opportunity to vote uh, using the pre-poll method. That's become more of a common practice. And so that's why today's debate is important. It starts today. Today is the day we should know what is the total tax bill that Bill is going to put on people, what is the bill that is going to be sent to the Australian people for the spending that he is engaging in over the course of this election. What is the cost of his emissions reductions policies? These are questions, as yet, I'm still waiting for the answers to. On the issue of tax, I know it's $387 billion by the individual measures specifically that they've talked about. But during the course of this campaign, Bill, we're still waiting to find the answers to those questions. Maybe you can enlighten us.
4: Well, Mr Shorten, we've commuted uh, seamlessly there from a question about why people are voting early to allegations against you. What have you got to say?
3: Well, I think people are voting early because they want to change a government. I mean, how many times do you give the Liberals a chance before you say that voting Liberals the triumph of hope over experience? I mean, let's be candid. This economy is not working the interests of everyday people. So I think people are keen to vote early. I don't think it is just a question of convenience. I think there's a mood for change in Australia. People want to see us take real action on climate change, for example. People want to see us look after working and middle-class people. I think it is wrong in this country that pensioners and older people get discouraged from going to see the dentist because they can't get any help from the government to pay for the bills. I think it's wrong in this country that you've got men and women go to work, uh, a million households are paying more for childcare than ever before and there's no relief. So I think people are in the mood for change. Uh, In terms of the issues, I'm happy to go through them as we go through the evening. Mm. But Labor has put a lot of its policies out there and I tell you what when it comes to standing up on wages, on cost of living, on healthcare, on pension or dental, on better childcare subsidies to help families deal with the cost of childcare, we're ready.
2: Well, if you're ready, Bill, tell us what the cost of your tax policies are. Tell us what the cost of the climate change policies are. I mean, you've got a climate change policy which requires you to achieve 1.3 billion tonnes of emissions reduction over the next 10 years. Now I don't know what proportion you're proposing to do that. By forcing companies to buy foreign carbon credits, but they cost 42 bucks at the moment. They're going up to over 50. So, how much of that is going to be done through that process, and what will it cost the economy? I mean, if there's going to be a change, you've said people, you're you're arguing that there should be a change, and I think Australians true. <laughs> deserve to know what is the cost
3: of the change, what is the cost of the higher taxes we'll, and we'll these policies. We'll
4: give Mr. Shorten time to answer that, Prime
3: Minister. Yeah, well. I thought we were going to talk about climate change a little later, but I'm happy to start now.
0: And Mr Shorten, Uh, you can speak directly to um, the Prime Minister as well, you guys are sitting next to each other, you (laughs) you don't need to look directly down the (laughs) barrel of the camera. That's funny,
3: you guys are trying to look down the camera, but that's fine. Um, (laughs) Listen on climate change, uh, I think the nation's sick of the fact that we're still arguing about it, people just want us to get on with it. When you look at Australian households, there's 2 million Australian households who have already put solar on their rooftop. You know, 12 years ago, that was 7,000 households. People aren't putting solar rooftop on on their roofs because they think it's a cost. They think it's an investment. And like all action on climate change, you've got to invest to get a return. Yeah, but again, Bill, I'm just asking the question. What is the cost? No one's disputing about climate change, I'm not having
2: an argument about climate change.
1: And Mr Short, the Prime to... Minister, I might step in there, we will sure. give you the opportunity obviously to discuss climate change. Uh, good evening to you who have just joined us, you're watching the Leaders' Debate. Every question asked tonight has been influenced by you, our viewers and our readers of The West Australian. Our second question is indeed on carbon and climate change. Let's get back to our moderators.
0: So thanks, Baz. The the first question will go to Mr. uh, Mr. Shorten. Um, Mr. Shorten, can you categorically rule out that there will be any negative impact on the economy or job losses as a result of your forty-five percent emissions reduction target?
3: I can categorically say that if we don't take real action on climate change, that'll be a disaster for our economy. I can categorically guarantee. That if we invest in climate change policies and we're fed income, in the future we'll have more jobs, in the future we'll have lower energy prices, and we won't be known as the generation who handed on a worse deal to our kids. I mean, this issue about give us one number, I don't think that's possible to do. <clears throat> what we need to do is understand that if you want to stop polluting the environment, you do have to spend some money, you do have to make some actions. But our policy is about working with business, making sure that we get least cost abatement. The biggest reason why we've got energy prices out of control in Australia is because this government can't make its mind up about what to do on climate change. I mean, if they were feeding them on climate change, Malcolm Turnbull would still be Prime Minister. So we've got a suite of policies to help reduce emissions, and in the long term, we think that's going to be great not only for jobs, not only for companies, but for our kids in the future.
0: Mr. Morrison, you are a father of two young daughters. Um, Do you, how much of a threat is climate change to Australia's future and how urgent is the need for action on climate change?
2: Well I think it is a threat and I think it does require urgent action. It's a question of um, what your targets are and our policies haven't changed in terms of what our emissions reduction target is over the last four years. It's been the same. It's 26% emissions reduction And let us tell us what we did when we came to government. There was an over 700 million ton deficit in meeting our Kyoto 2020 targets. And we have turned that round through the policies we've put in place, which means we will now meet our Kyoto 2020 targets with a surplus of 369 million tons. Now that's a 1.1 billion ton turnaround that we've achieved as a government. Labor set the targets, We, we met them, And we turned around a climate deficit into a climate surplus over the course of the time we've been in government. And so we've set our 2030 targets. We've set out where every tonne of abatement will be achieved. And how that will be achieved, the cost is $3.5 billion to the budget through the measures that we're implementing. And I just simply want to know. Labor's got a different policy. They say it should be 45% and the Australians should know what that's going to cost. I want my kids to know what that's going to cost because they're the ones who are going to be paying for it.
4: Mr Shorten, will give you an opportunity to answer that as, as you like and also probably pick up on that point about the Kyoto credits, which which you're not carrying forward and the Prime Minister is. How material is that in this debate? Okay.
3: Well, the problem which we're debating here is, is the government fed income on climate change or do we have better policies? The government wants to scare people and say that if you uh, vote Labor and we take real action to get more renewables in our energy system, that somehow this will be some horrendous cost. The fact of the matter is, I've heard this argument before. When people stopped tipping chemicals into rivers, they said it would cost business more to stop the chemicals being tipped into the river. Asbestos used to be the most common building material used for 30 years. And there were people who complained when we said we shouldn't use asbestos anymore. There's nothing wrong with requiring change, but we'll work with business. size up at Sun Metal Zinc in Townsville. It's a very large refinery. Uh, there, because of the investment, the cost. They spend on building a new solar farm. They now get much cheaper power to the refinery, which has helped keep the refinery in business. An argument which says that you shouldn't change or you should change so slowly that it's not going to have any impact is an argument which says that the future's too hard. This government's finding too many excuses not to act. In terms of uh, our policy, we want least cost abatement. We want to make sure that we work with business. I mean, I speak to business all the time. And they've said to me, for goodness sakes, Bill, can't we get a bit of bipartisanship? And I've said, yep, no problems. What I've said to them is, we'll take the Malcolm Turnbull National Energy Guarantee and we will use that as the mechanism we use in business. They say, thank goodness. And I said, but sorry, there's a catch. Now they've got rid of Malcolm Turnbull, they dropped the National Energy Guarantee. I mean, business wants certainty. They don't want surprises. I spent my life representing people in the steel industry, the cement industry, uh, aluminium, people who work in internationally competitive industries. We will work with them. But we can't keep ducking the issue. And we're going to take on the government's scare campaigns because, frankly, if we don't, then we're selling out the future, Mr. Probably.
0: Shorten. One of your um, one of your climate policies is that you want 50 percent of all new cars sold in Australia to be electric by 2030. Um, the Nissan Leaf is one of the m- more popular electric vehicles on the market. How much does that cost?
3: I haven't bought a new car in a while, um, so I couldn't but tell you. But shouldn't
0: you know how much that's going well, to cost? Well, I can tell
3: people? you how much electric car costs
2: more and than I'm the lane can, standard. It's 28,000 it. bucks. It's 28,000 well, for, for the same type of car. Well, that that's great. We've got a Prime Minister spending
3: his times in the motor pages. That's super. What I want Well, to that's do... where most
2: Australians often spend their time, mate. Oh, well, come on. <laughs> they, they read about cars, they read Man. about footy, yeah, they read about is, the races, they this read, is, read about I'm not you know, talking what about who won the
3: fifth of Flemington. <laughs> what I'm saying is, you know, this gotcha stuff where, do can someone buy an electric car tomorrow? Well, the problem is, it's very hard to buy cheap electric cars in Australia. Because we don't have a proper market for them. Because we don't have the charging stations. And because we've got a government stuck in the past. Let me just clear up a couple of the nonsenses that we've already heard in the election and in some parts of the media, I might add, too. What we'd like is that 50% of new cars, it's a target if you want to buy an electric car that we've got a proper market. We're not going to tell you to give in your ute. We don't mind what car you buy, but the rest of the world is moving to building electric cars. They're getting cheaper. Why should we deny Australian consumers cheaper petrol bills and cheaper cars? Well, can I ask Jordan, then... Mr. Morrison, we'll,
1: we'll leave it there. In the interest of getting through as many topics as possible tonight, we're going to move to question three. It's a question which has dominated viewer comments during the election campaign. And that question is, Labor and Liberal, who will most affect their pay packet? Let's go back to Lani and Mark, our moderators, to fire in the questions and set up this next debate.
4: All right, Mr Morrison, let's go to you first on this. What will you do to lift wages? And uh, Mr Shorten is saying that everything's going up except your wages, and I think a lot of Australians probably believe that to be true. Do high-income earners really deserve about $140 billion worth of tax cuts at this time? So, what will you do to increase wages? Well, wages are growing at
2: 2.3% and that's up from um, 1.9% when I was Treasurer and I welcome that there's a modest improvement as the Reserve Bank Cummerb has also acknowledged. But the way you drive wages forward is not by taxing people more. And you don't do it by taxing the economy more, because that slows businesses down. You don't put taxes on business, which means they can't employ and they can't pay their workers more. You don't do it by putting reckless emissions reduction targets, which will force Companies that have 100,000 employees here in Western Australia who will be affected by those emissions reduction policies. 100,000, over 35,000 up in central Queensland whose jobs will be put at risk. Now, that's why you focus on growing your economy to grow wages. Now, our tax policies are for all hard-working Australians and the figure you were referring to, that is for workers earning as little as 40,000 a year. So I don't consider them a, a high-income earner. I mean, but I'll be straight with people about taxes. I'm lowering all of their taxes because I think the better you do, the harder you work, you should keep more of what you earn. I all think right. your money is better off in your hands than it is in the government's hands. Bill thinks it's better okay. off in his.
4: All right, we've got to keep things rattling along. Mr Shorten, um, you can respond on the on the tax issue, but also you're promising a wage increase to average workers, but you're not telling us what that wage increase will be beyond saying it's a real wage increase. In other words, beyond inflation. Don't people have a right to know how much money you're you're promising to put in their pocket? And if you want to address the issues of taxation, please.
3: Well, Mark, you were listening very carefully as I was, but more importantly, the people watching at home in the audience. You asked Mr Morrison, what's your plan to get wages moving? And I heard about emissions reduction targets and I heard about taxation. But don't people in Australia not just deserve an improvement in their tax position, but actually a wage rise? Mr Morrison said it's 2.3%. No problem there. Don't people in Australia deserve better than just being told they don't have a problem? Wages growth in this country, under this government, is at record lows. And everything is going up. Childcare's up 28%. Out-of-pockets to see the doctor up 20%. Specialists, 20, uh, nearly 30, 40%. Are private health insurance, up and up, you name it, everything's going up except your wages. So we've got some very simple propositions. Restore the penalty rate cuts which are arbitrarily taken from shop assistants and hospitality workers and pharmacist workers. We want to do more to help support our casuals and labour hire workers from getting ripped off and we want to clamp down on dodgy 457 visas. These are some of our plans to get wages moving. Why don't we talk about some of those things? Let's, let's first of all talk about our penalty rates. You say
2: it was an arbitrary change. It was a decision made by the Fair Work Commission Bill that you set up and you said should be independent of anyone else. I think it's dangerous when politicians tell you they can set your wages and they can do something directly to directly change what you're being paid. I think that's a dangerous thing to promise people. And when it comes to when it comes to penalty rates, Bill, we all know what happened at Clean Event when you traded away the penalty rates of Clean Event workers in return for what? A payment by the company to your union. So when it comes to penalty rates, we were asked before about who do you trust? We trust the independent umpire, which is the Fair Work Commission, which you established, you said, should be kept independent, shouldn't be any interference. But if we run a wages system, where the Prime Minister of the day just arbitrarily decides, well, no, that we're going to throw that decision out and we're going to change it. And we're going to say we're going to pay one group of workers, whether they're childcare workers or anywhere else, we're going to pay them more. I mean, I still don't know how you plan to do that. You're going to send them a cheque? Is it going to be a subsidy? What other wages are going to be directly subsidised by the government if Bill Shorten is the Prime Minister? I mean, that does sound a bit chaotic in terms of economic policy. Well, let's give Mr Shorten... i well, chance to, to answer that. Answer I didn't those. want to interrupt
3: him. OK, first of all, uh, I'm very proud of my record. I never ran into many Liberal politicians when I was negotiating wage rises for workers. Uh, mind you, I mean, here's the difference. If I had members of mine when I was a union rep who uh, owed money, I'd chase the money. I wouldn't give their boss a spot in the Senate, would I? And in terms of the bigger picture... Uh, in terms of penalty rates. Periodically, I didn't set up the Fair Work Commission, by the way. The Industrial Relations Commission was set up in 1907. But more importantly than when it was established, occasionally governments have said when they've got the decision wrong, they've stepped in. Uh, When the Fair Work Commission wouldn't lift superannuation in awards, then Hawke and Keating stepped in. Malcolm Turnbull stepped in when the Fair Work Commission created an agreement for volunteer and uh, professional firefighters. Mr Morrison didn't have a problem with intervening then, but he does seem to have a problem with us saying, let's get the penalty rates back. When I say it's arbitrary, what I mean is that people had their public holiday pay rates cut, their Sunday rates cut, they weren't compensated during the week. It was just a cut is a cut is a cut. And the McKell institution, uh, Institute has said that that's costing Australian workers over the next three years if right. Labor's not elected. $2.8 billion. These are low-paid workers. For Mr Morrison, I accept, you know, has a good wage and he earns that. But a lot of Liberals on the front bench of his government don't know what it's like to live on 40 Miss and $50,000. Do would, it that. wouldn't
2: be true for you to say that that was a decision taken by the government. As you know, it was a decision taken by the Fair Work yes. Commission, <laughs> completely independent of the government, and for you to represent that to people as a decision of the government, I don't think it's very truthful. Then why did you vote eight times against
3: restoring temporary rates? Because we believe rates?
2: in the independence of the Fair Work mm-hmm. Commission. I uh... as simple as that. We think they should make these decisions and we don't think politicians should set Eight people's times wages. you
3: voted against... It, well, you
2: voted 78 times against uh, stronger Ooh. border protection. Didn't Bill. mean to, didn't mean to. Mr. Short, to say Mr. Morrison, I, I will jump
1: in there, uh, entertaining us as you are with tonight's debate. And We appreciate it. The next line of questioning, a very broad one, but decisive for many households, and that's the topic of boat arrivals, religion, and national security. We all know only too well. In recent weeks, immigration returned to the top of the agenda after the Christchurch terror attacks. Over to you, Lani and Mark, for question number four.
0: Mr Morrison, the first question goes to you. Was your claim that the people smuggling trade would restart again after the passage of the Medibet bill just simply a lie, given only one person came to Australia and we, we haven't seen an influx of boats, as you, you said, would occur?
2: Well, that was the advice of the Secretary of the Department of Home Affairs. <coughs> and. Our decision, following that advice, was to reopen Christmas Island to ensure that we wouldn't have that result, that there would be an active deterrent for those who would seek to game the system from the holes opened up by the, the bill that the, the Bill Shorten supported and, and weakened our offshore processing system. We put Christmas Island in place to provide that deterrent, and it's worked. See, I've had a fair bit to do with border protection policy over the years. When I became Immigration Minister when we were first elected, I inherited the worst policy failure I think we've seen from a government under Labor uh, since Federation. 1,200 people dead. We had 9,000 children go into detention. And we had arrivals just happening many times a day. I fashioned a policy to deal with that, and we fixed it. And we haven't had a boat arrive successfully in Australia for years. (laughs) and I don't want to see that start again and I know what it takes to keep them stopped And I'm telling you, the Labor Party doesn't because they haven't learned the lessons from when they were last in government.
0: Mr Shorten, as um, Mr Morrison mentioned there, uh, there was 1,200 people who died at sea under the previous Labor government. In 2012 and 2013 alone, more than 37,000 asylum seekers arrived in Australian waters on 500 boats. How will you ensure that will not occur again if you win the prime ministership on on may 18
3: well sometimes in politics this may surprise viewers we can actually agree with each other and on some parts of what the government policy is we now agree i actually accept that boat turnbacks work and i've convinced my party to accept that i don't want the people smuggling trade start again i don't think it is right to put people on a unsafe vessels and send them across the Indian Ocean. I think that's unscrupulous. I think it is dangerous and it is criminal. So we will not uh, change that policy. We believe in boat turnbacks where it's safe to do so. We will keep the same amount of resources in border security. And we will also not allow people who come by boat through people smuggler to resettle in Australia. We'll keep resettling them overseas. The only argument which has happened at the margins, and I think it is more noise than substance, is that if you've got a very sick person in in the care of Australia, albeit indirectly in rural manners, and they require medical treatment, and that treatment's best found in Australia, we should give that to them. To be fair, the government's brought 900 people across that way. When we had Medivac legislation, which the government said was the end of the world as they knew it, and we had the $180 million press conference on Christmas Island, only one person has come since... So really, when you look at it, I think this is a government looking for an issue or point of difference. We just uh, think, we accept that we don't want the people smugglers to start again. And I just say to the government, on behalf of people who might be uh, con to go on boats, please don't encourage the people smugglers. We'll go to
0: debate now between... Right. Well, can we, can
3: well we I think it's important. The internet, other I people smugglers... I a response
2: What I take issue there is that Bill is saying that we have the same policies on border protection and it's not true. The Labor Party will will abolish temporary protection visas if they are elected to government. That's their policy. And I remember, I remember it very, very vividly. It was back uh, under the Labor government when they abolished temporary protection visas. That's when the boat started again. It was August 2008. They got rid of them. They said there wouldn't be any impact. And then the boats started to come. Kevin Rudd said before he was elected, "Oh, I'll do turnbacks." The Labor Party say these things before the election, but when they come in and they understand what's involved, they quickly change their mind because they are divided on this issue. They have always been divided on this issue, and I can sell them from personal experience. It's not an easy thing to do, and you have to believe in it passionately, and you have to know that what you're doing. And having fashioned that policy and led that policy then that is the only way you can guarantee that our borders will remain secure. The Labor Party,
3: it's just not in their DNA. They will really not believe Shorten, Mr Shorten, the allegation that yeah, you Hang on, there, he's, he's made that point. TV. I think I should answer it. Yeah. Sorry, was that what you were going to ask me? Yep, okay. absolutely. Um, listen, we are going to have both turnbacks. I didn't say our policies are identical in every way. They voted against Medivac legislation. Uh, but when it comes to the fundamentals, we are completely committed to stopping the people smugglers coming back. I accept the lessons of the past and I accept that where the Liberal Party has an idea or parts of an idea which I think work, I'll adopt it. What people hate in Australian politics is when one side says there's nothing good on the other side and vice versa, well, I'm not going to be that sort of Prime Minister if I get elected. I accept some of the experience which Mr Morrison has said. We don't want this evil trade to start again. I suppose I do differ in tone in terms of the time it's taken to resettle people. I actually congratulated Malcolm Turnbull for him managing to get President Trump to keep the deal to move some people to the United States. What I don't want to see, though, is that the proposition uh, of the demonisation of refugees, what we don't want in this country is to be a country which says that minorities should be picked on by majorities. Well, I don't think that's what we're doing at all, Bill. I mean, I'm the prime minister that saw the
2: last child off Nauru. I'm the Prime Minister that has ensured that we have protected all of the elements of our border protection regime. Because this is the lesson if you play with any element of it, and I know this from experience, it is an invitation to people smugglers, and we can't have that happen again. Very quickly, I'm going to jump
1: in because we'd like to keep the debate moving. We'd like to get to as many questions as we can. I've relocated to the audience. We'd like to thank. Both leaders for agreeing tonight to take some questions from the floor. I'm with now seven viewer and West reader Ron. Ryan, Ron, good evening to you. If you could ask your question, please. Uh, My question is addressed to uh, Bill Shorten uh, and it's to do with franking. Is there a limit based on the shareholders worth or value and how will this affect uh, pensioners with small holdings?
3: Uh, Shorten first. Thanks for your question, Ron. Uh, you're asking about the effect on pensioners? That's right. OK, well, on our franking credits proposal, there is, we are not interested in affecting pensioners at all. So uh, our policy doesn't apply to people who receive a pension or a part pension. But just to go to the unpack the term, Ron, beyond answering your question, because quite a lot of people don't know what franking credits are or they don't understand them, which means our changes don't affect you. Uh, I've been amazed by the number of people I've met as I've travelled around Australia who say is it really the case that you can get a tax credit or a tax refund when you haven't paid income tax? What we're doing is winding back that loophole. Currently in Australia, if you own a big lot of shares, if you get a dividend or interest from the shares, that's not taxed when you're in retirement. But what you'd also get is the government gives you a bit more money on top of it. Now that's just not sustainable. You've got to make choices in government. We've decided to find pensioner dental care up to $1,000 over two years for every pensioner in Australia. But your change that you're concerned about with pensioners. That doesn't happen. We're not touching the pension.
2: I'm sorry, Mark. I've got to pick him up here because it does hit pensioners, as he knows full well. That if you have a self-managed super fund and you're a pensioner, it hits you. And if you had, were, had, had if you were a pensioner time, uh, back in April of last year, and then you go and have a self-managed fund after that, you will get hit by the retirees tax. Fifty thousand pensioners will be hit by the retirees tax that Labor proposed to bring in. And it all has to do around self-managed super funds. So if someone goes into a self-managed super fund and you're a pensioner, you will get hit if it's happened after last April. So it is not true to say that pensioners don't get hit. And uh, it seems Mr Shorten needs to be a bit clearer about the impact on pensioners and his policy. Let's not do
4: that. Mr Morrison, though, um, 50% of the proceeds of this go to the top 10% of of, uh, self-managed super funds, really. You call it a retiree tax, it's not actually tax, it's a removal of a tax rebate to people who aren't paying tax, isn't it? They've paid tax
2: all their lives, Mark, and I think that's the great offence that I think retirees have felt as a result of this measure. It's $5 billion a year and people have planned their retirement based on getting access to what have been legal, franked credit rebates. And these figures, on average, are around about $1,200 per person affected, and someone in a self-managed super fund, it can be as much as $12,000. And this is going to have... He says, wow, as if it doesn't matter to somebody, that $12,000 out of an income of some $50,000 is not a big deal, or $60,000. Well, it is a big deal, Bill. People have worked hard all of their lives to set themselves up to be self-funded in retirement. And for you to say that they have not been paying taxes and somehow this is some great gift that has been bestowed on them. This is a generation that's worked hard over their entire lives and they don't, sh- they shouldn't be forced to pay for the fact that the Labor Party can't control how much it's All right, spent. All right it let's just go back and deal with that. For but point. first
3: things first, so I want to pay a bit of respect to the questioner, because Scott sort of moved the truth a fair way along from where it started. To Ron, I ask, do you have a self-managed super fund? All right, so I wasn't talking about self-managed super funds. You said fact. no pensioners were affected. Well, in Ron's circumstance... No, no, you didn't You didn't qualify it. You don't get to slink away from it like
2: you did on the press conference oh, the other day no. and say so you didn't hear the question properly. All what right. happened is you said
3: pensioners are unaffected right. and that is not true about your policy. All right. Well, first of all, let me state very clearly, pensioners and part pensioners are not affected. Anyone who, and there's about 20,000 that we were aware of as of March... Last year, who were in a self managed super fund, because they're not normally the vehicle of choice for the 2.6 million pensioners in Australia. Up to March of last year, they're not affected. A very small number of people who are in an SMSF in the future, from the date we announced it, may be affected. But well, can that's I just. 50,000, by let's, the you way. You had in the the a good crack, years. Digger. Let's just. 50,000. You had a good crack. The real problem here is this, and this is what I want to say to Australians. Do you really think it is fair that someone who doesn't pay income tax? in the year which they get a tax credit, gets a tax refund? Now, it's not illegal. It's not immoral, and Scott gave the... You know, these people have worked hard all their life, so have all the other pensioners. So does everyone else who works tax. This is purely a reform. This nation can't keep giving money in the form of a tax cheque to people who didn't pay tax. Do you know half a million Australians have to pay on average $11,000 of tax a year just to give a tax refund to someone who didn't pay tax? It's not sustainable. So, Bill, if someone has a, one of those
2: franking credits and they have a large income and they can they can offset it, that's okay. But someone who's on a small income, who has a self-managed super fund and is a self-funded retiree, they should deny the same tra- tax credit that someone else who earns a lot of money should get. If Very you and quickly, I had Mr. those shares, we'd be able to, to claim the deduction. But pensioners including well, well, those with, well, self-funded go, returns, again, post- with self-funded yeah I heard that we just shut that one got to move on we got to move on you're yeah. hitting them and you need well, to be okay, frank you need to updated
3: mark up, up Scott's up. had said two, two bites to the cherry there I very just want quickly. to come back very quickly and say when john howard introduced a proposition which said that you could get a tax refund without paying tax that cost half a billion dollars a year it's now 6 billion dollars yeah. it's climbing like, it's not illegal, but it's a gift. The nation can't keep giving a gift of a tax refund. All right, Mr think it's Short, This bill I
1: will have to jump in. Uh, we don't have an infinite amount of time, so we do want to get to question six. Another question from our audience. Thank you to Ron for his thought-provoking question. I'm now with Corey. Corey, all yours. Prime Minister, I'd like to ask you a question.
4: What do you think of Clyde Palmer and, and his questions today? And, and his comments today? So what is Clyde Palmer... How
1: important is Clive Palmer to your campaign?
2: Well, Clive Palmer is not part of our campaign. Clive Palmer should pay his workers and Clive Palmer should settle things up and Clive Palmer should do what every other Australian should do and that is they should abide by the law and that's why our government is actually pursuing that through the courts as we speak. there's an election on. You've got to decide where you put your preferences, Bill Shorten and his team. They tried to get Clive Palmer's preferences. Rubbish. I think the only thing, well, I'm sorry, rubbish. Bill, um, you actually had your own people talking Still to him as Clive as clearly pointed out, it seems the only thing you're upset about is he's said no to you because he think you'll be a danger to the economy. But when it comes to Bill, when it comes to Clive Palmer, look, he has to obey the law and do the right thing by Australians yeah, yeah. like everyone else yeah, we see needs that, to we. do. That's what he yeah. needs to do. But at the end of the day, When we have to decide, do we think that the United Australia Party would be oh. more dangerous to the Australian economy than Bill Shorten, the Labor Party and the Greens. Well, I'm sorry. I think Bill Shorten, the Labor Party and the Greens are. You're the so Labor harsh. Party is, doing, is entering into preference deals with the Greens oh, and no. the Greens are for death taxes. The Greens are for actually walking away from our alliance for bases
3: with oh, the United no. States. You've oh, right, so got,
4: got to give Mr Shorten equal time Labor to and the Greens—they're dangerous.
3: you've got oh, overtime. There's the talking points. Um, Going back to Corey's actual question about what role is Clive Palmer playing in this election, I think he's playing a really chaotic role. Now the issue which I uh, had a polite sort of little dig at the government on is that Mr Palmer and Q and his company he's very interested in, Queensland Nickel, went to insolvency. They owed $74 million to the workforce. That is a lot. Now, what happened is that the taxpayer under the law stepped into the shoes of the workers, gave them $70 million, and then Mr Palmer owes that amount of money to the taxpayer. Now, I think it's downright cheeky of this man who's basically got a tax-free loan from the government for not paying his debts, is now spending all that money bombarding you with these crazy posters and the, you know, whatever, Australia, and... uh You know, and the digital wallpaper he's sending you, it's not on. So, I, you know, but the deeper issue here isn't even that. If Mr. Morrison wants to sort of smirk about getting some deals with Clive Palmer, so be it. I couldn't ultimately do a deal with this guy. No, you didn't. Because, well, that's true. (laughs) I didn't. You you did. (laughs) He rejected you. And you're going to, no. He rejected you. You even had the The unions were even up in Townsville trying
2: to get a special deal for the port. For goodness sake, Bill. A, so didn't mean to interrupt. Well, interrupt in, in a lot of... But ideas, let's go. Let's, so no, seriously. Let's finish this
3: point. It's a real okay. issue. Because Palmer... We've had six years of chaos under the current government. How on earth did Mr Morrison and this desperate government manage to get themselves taken hostage by Clive Palmer and Pauline Hanson? This is the real problem in the election. Does anyone who's ever dealt with Clive Palmer think that he just does something for nothing? If Mr Palmer's preferences, which are crucial to helping Mr Morrison get some of his MPs elected, which is why they did the deal, what debt is Mr Palmer going to come knocking on the door of the Prime Minister? If, in fact, Mr Palmer rescues the Prime Minister. We've Absolutely had six... Awesome. Oh, yeah. We'll you in haven't in met Pipe so I... Palmer, if you we'll believe that. We'll so step in there. What, what's the deal oh, he's with Clive gr- He's Ply a good Palmer. Samaritan, Clive Palmer. I just...
2: Well, of course not. There are no, no policy deals yeah, when samaritan. it comes to this arrangement. No, yeah. But I ask you the same... It's just lucky. Bill, well, i the unicorn of
3: liberal politics.
2: Bill, I'll ask you the same question with the Greens. What is the deal with the Greens? And when the Greens come knocking, how
3: much further will you go? We've put our policies out there. See, that's the difference. When you're So running what's, a, what's the basis of the deal sorry, with the Greens? When you are finished, I'll have a go. Have you finished? The point about it is, we're not going to coalition with the Greens. The fact of the matter is that we prefer their views to One Nation and to some of your views, but I'm running to form a government. And I tell you what, if you don't think that Clive Palmer and Pauline Hansey are pretty dodgy people to be working with, well then, I think that's a mistake, and I tell you what, the Australian mm. people are onto him. Well, we put one nation below. Um, well, not uh, the Nationals, of course. They're your coalition partners, the Nationals, except when it's convenient for them not to be your partners. Well, we're, they're Mr. Short, separate. Mr parties. Morrison, yeah. we
1: appreciate your answers to that question. Thank you to Ron, and thank you to Corey for two very thought-provoking questions from our audience. Yes, indeed. So our final question tonight, and it's one that perhaps many of you would not have imagined would be asked. We are, of course, strongly watching the clock tonight. We have been a little a little flexible on time during this evening's debate, but it must now finish on time. When the debate begins, I'll ask the leaders to be mindful of the time. So, for our final question tonight, Lani and Mark, it's back to you.
0: So, this is a question to both of you. Mr Morrison, what do you admire about Mr Shorten? And Mr Shorten, what do you admire about Mr Morrison?
2: I respect anyone who serves in the Australian Parliament and seeks to serve in the Australian Parliament. Public service, whether as a politician or as an official, or wherever you would seek to serve your country in the Defence Forces or any other place, is, is a service. And, uh, and Bill and I both made that decision in our lives to, to do that.
3: And of course I respect him for doing that.
0: Mr Shorten.
3: Okay. Well I respect Scott for more than just he's a politician. I actually think on the topic of mental health, uh, I've listened carefully to his words. And I think he does have a view about that topic. I think that's a really important topic. Uh, I also respect the fact that uh, he, he serves in the parliament, but he's also a man of deep conviction. Now, I don't agree with every policy position he holds, but I think he has a sincerity and he has a real conviction about what he believes in. But on mental health, Scott, I reckon you're doing good work and uh, I look towards us working our policies more closely together.
2: All right, well, Mr Shorten
1: and Mr Morrison, thank you for those very respectful answers, as you can all see at home and here in our audience over the past hour. The leaders have debated the topics our viewers and our audiences and readers have flagged as key to who they will choose to vote for. You'll know in your mind who has won and who has lost tonight's debate. But, like all debates, we will allow a final say. Now, as the Prime Minister opened the debate, we will invite the Prime Minister again to lead our closing statements so that Mr Shorten will conclude. Prime Minister, it's over to you.
2: Thank you, Basil. Well, thank you all for watching this evening and thanks for participating and thank you, Bill, for agreeing to be part of this debate and and everyone who's been involved. This debate is important because ultimately Australians will make a choice in a few weeks' time. And it's a very important choice. And it's your choice. It's the choice you get to make about the economy you will live in over the next decade because it really does have that big an impact. The decisions made in one term of government will reach out across the next 10 years. We saw that last time as Labor was elected in 2007, and it's taken us 12 years to get back to surplus. It's taken us more than a decade to get to the same levels of employment in our economy that uh, we had at the time when the Howard government left office. And it's taken us all that time to restore when it comes to our borders and, and other important policies. So the decision is important and I believe it will be close and the decision is a choice as I said at the outset. It's a choice between a government that has kept the economy strong and has a plan to keep it strong to create more jobs, to be able to invest in the essential services that Australians rely on in our hospitals and our schools and our roads right across the country. You can't run a essential services program unless you have a strong economy. That's what makes it possible. That's why the Liberals and Nationals are always so focused on running a strong economy. And you know, you can't run a country if you can't manage money. And we have brought the budget back into surplus, and that means we can be relied upon to keep it in surplus and to pay down the debt and to ensure that we can put Australia on the right tack for, for future generations. And as a government, we believe the choice is to have lower taxes because we think as we go into what is going to be a very difficult period ahead that we've got to get it all very much on track. We've got to keep our spending under control. We've got to keep our taxes under control. We've got to ensure that Australians have as little baggage to carry and businesses have as little baggage to carry as they can. And so there is a clear choice. Higher taxes or lower taxes? Strong management of, the, of, of finances or weaker management? A strong economy or a weak economy? We're going to build our economy to secure your future.
3: Well, thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I'll oh. oh, the clauses for you, Scott. Um, listen, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, I've outlined Labor's choices for this election and what we think is important. And the government's outlined their choices. But now it's up to you to make your choice. It really comes down to the case for change. Has there been enough of a case made for change? The reality is that in the last six years, when you voted for Tony Abbott, you ended up getting Malcolm Turnbull. When you voted for Malcolm Turnbull last time, you've got Mr Morrison. When you vote for Mr Morrison this time, who knows, you might get Clive Palmer or Pauline Hanson. (laughs) The chaos has to stop. But in it even as important as the instability of the current government is the question is this a strong economy for who who benefits at the moment it is fair to say that in the last 3 years corporate profits have gone up 39% but wages have only gone up 5% it's fair to say that childcare costs are up private health insurance is becoming a luxury that the government's cuts to hospitals and medicare have meant that we've seen are greater out of pocket costs to see the doctor. And of course, the government hasn't kept the promises it's made when it was first elected of proper funding of schools. And we've seen the number of trainees and apprenticeships fall by 150,000. So this economy is not working for you. Our choice is different. If you want to have properly funded schools and hospitals, vote Labor. If you want real action on climate change and no more excuses, vote Labor. If you want to see 3 million Aussie pensioners and senior healthcare hold, card holders get uh, $1,000 support for their dental costs, vote Labor. If you're one of 1 million Australian households who use childcare and earn less than $175,000, vote Labor for our $2,000 subsidy. If you want to actually see penalty rates restored, and if you want to see a united team take us forward for three years, vote Labor. This country works best. When everyone gets a fair go, and that's the Labor motto, a fair go for all.
4: Well, you. gentlemen, you were, um, <laughs> the audience, we have, have You've had a, a great free-flowing fro- debate. You went over yeah. time in some areas. You were incredibly brief when you were asked to be nice to the other person. So we've actually got a little bit of time <laughs> up our sleeve, which allows us a minute each. To, for this question, Mr Morrison, you first. What should voters know about your opponent that they don't know?
2: He's not telling you what the cost of change is. That's it. He's not telling you. Tonight we've had a lot of time to answer questions about what will the tax bill be? What is the cost of the emissions reductions policies? And we still haven't got the answers. And we're even still getting not the straight answers in terms of what the impact is of the retirees tax and these other issues. So voting has started. People deserve to know what the cost of change is. We've been heading in the right direction when it comes to ensuring the budget gets up on track and we get unemployment down. And we can list 2,000 medicines on the Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme to ensure that we can save lives and make the quality of life better for just so many Australians. We've set all that out. Mr Shorten is still not answering these fundamental questions. Now is not the time to turn back. Now is the time to ensure that we keep our economy strong. Now is the time to ensure we keep our financial management strong. Because the the difficult times will come in the future and we've demonstrated our ability to ensure that those times can be managed well for all Australians.
4: Mr Shorten, I'll give you the same opportunity to tell voters what they should know about the man sitting next to you.
3: Well first of all, what I think is that this country can't afford to just go on the path that we're on. Do you know our national broadband, our broadband speed, we were in the mid-30s, when this government got elected, now we're 62nd in the world. We're 25th in terms of maths capacity of our kids. Uh, our wages growth is 27th amongst the organised, you know, the other comparable nations. You know, Mr Morrison says there's a cost to change. I tell you what, Mr Morrison, Scott, the change, the cost of not changing is this, longer waiting lists for hip surgery and arth- arthroscopy. Uh, arth- and cataracts. The cost of not changing is more and more people not being able to deal when they're in the fight of their lives of cancer with getting the support they need and help with the out-of-pocket costs. The cost of not changing is that we hand on a worse environment to the kids. The cost of maintaining tax loopholes for the wealthy mean that our hospitals and schools and childcare and pensioners don't get the fair deal that they deserve. That's the cost of inaction. Gentlemen, thank you very much. You've been...
4: Thanks for the frankness of, uh, of your answers tonight. I think we've, we might have broken some new ground here. You've actually engaged and we appreciate that. I'm sure voters do as well. Uh, they don't often see leaders talking to one another about the issues. There's been some good humour. Thank you for that. A couple of digs. That's always good too. <laughs> And hopefully voters have a better idea now about what you both stand for Good. and we've made it a little easier for them to make that decision over the next three weeks. And we wish you both well over the next three weeks and uh, may the best man win. That's thank you very much. Good <laughs> yes,
1: indeed. So thank you to Scott Morrison, our Prime Minister and to Labor leader, Bill Shorten. We thank you. Thanks also to Mark Riley and Lani Scar for leading our debate tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for our participants tonight. And as Mark said, it was robust debate, it was engaging debate and it was thoughtful debate. We appreciate all of our participants' contribution. Now for our viewers here in Perth, 7 News will be next. We'll be heading to 7 News very soon. You'll have the opportunity to give your response to how you thought tonight's debate ran. And indeed pass judgment on our winners plus details in a special edition of the west australian newspaper tomorrow later tonight the latest will have a debrief with our audience and more details on why they chose their winner that's live on seven at 10 45 pm nationally thank you for your company this has been a special presentation by seven news and the west australian newspaper we hope you have the answers you'd hoped for during this last hour of spirited debate. Will Scott Morrison remain Prime Minister? Will Bill Shorten and his Labor team form Australia's next government? Of course you have the final say when Australia decides on election day on May 18. For now from the teams at Seven West headquarters, thank you and good evening.